As we continue with our theme that we've been in since the fall, She Unites, you know, we're talking about unity being so important to the heart of God and what we can do as women to walk in greater unity every day. And so I want us just to open our hearts and just individually ask God right now to speak to us personally and corporately through his word today, okay? Father, we just ask that you'd speak to us. We lay aside distractions, we lay aside the cares of life, we lay aside the to-do list for later this afternoon, and God, right now, we fix our eyes and our focus on you. We ask you to speak to us. Help us to hear what you're saying to us personally today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You know, as we've been talking about unity throughout this season, We've said that unity is so vital to the heart of God. It is so imperative to God. We even saw that in John chapter 17, Jesus himself prayed for us because he prayed for everyone who would ever believe in the Father. So he prayed for us that we as the body of Christ would be united. He prayed for our unity because it's so important to him, to his heart, to his purposes. And then in Psalm 133, we saw that it tells us where there is unity, that's where God commands his blessing. Not maybe there'll be a blessing, but where there's unity, God commands a blessing there. Our unity is vital to God. It's vital to his plans on the earth. It's vital to his plans within us and his plans through us as his body. And within the body, there's all different types of relationships. As we've said earlier in this season, there's relationships within church life where we serve alongside each other. There's friendships. There's family relationships. There's all different kinds of relationships within the body of Christ. And we talked some in the fall about what the Bible says about how to navigate those different relationships. But now we're going to continue talking about some relationships that we haven't touched on yet, starting with marriage. God wants unity in our marriages. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm not married. <laughs> it's okay, because you might be someday, and this is stuff you might need to know. <laughs> or maybe you're thinking, no, I'm not going to be married. <laughs> but you might have a friend who is married. You might have a daughter who is married or will be married someday, and they're going to need some godly advice, okay? So I believe God can speak to all of us wherever we are at today, right? Okay. In Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33, that passage of Scripture talks about our marriage relationship being an illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. And it tells us that wives, just as the church submits to Christ, the wife should submit to her husband. The wife takes on the role of the church, okay? And the husband takes on the role, if you will, in the illustration of Christ because it says, husbands, love and care for your wives as Christ loved the church. 
And then in verse 32 in that passage, it tells us that this is an illustration. Marriage is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Wow, think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. Our marriages are supposed to show the world, to be an example on this earth of what the relationship between Christ and his church is like. Wow, no pressure. <laughs> so, how you doing with that? <laughs> Do other people look at your marriage and see, wow, that's an example of the relationship between Christ and his church? Hmm, just a little food for thought. That's God's intention, that our marriages would be an illustration, an example to others of that relationship between Christ and his church. He wants there to be that kind of unity in our marriages. But did you know that we can have different kinds of unity in our marriage? We can have godly unity, but we can also have ungodly unity. In our marriages. Did you know that? The choice is ours. Think about Adam and Eve for a minute. Here they are, each of them created by God, united in relationship together by God. Yet, they united themselves together in sin. They decided to eat the fruit from the tree that God told them not to eat from. And the result was that sin entered the world, affecting every person from that point forward, including you and me. Wow. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. We read about them in Acts chapter 5. They united their hearts around a lie over the price that they sold land for, just so that they could keep some money for themselves. And God revealed it to Peter. And Peter said to them, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And each of them dropped dead. Wow. You see, ungodly agreement, ungodly unity is powerful in producing ungodly fruit. It brings damage. It brings death. It never just affects us, it also affects others. But then, another illustration in Acts chapter 18, we see Aquila and Priscilla. Here they are, a married couple. They were tent makers by trade, but their hearts were united in God and in his purposes. They together served alongside Paul in ministry, the Bible tells us that they had a church in their home. They taught others the gospel. They even taught other teachers. There's a story there in Acts chapter 18 of another teacher. It says he was an eloquent speaker named Apollos. And he was sharing the gospel with churches. But he had a limited he had limited knowledge of the gospel. And he was only aware of the gospel through John the Baptist. So 
they pulled him aside, Aquila and Priscilla pulled him aside and taught him about Jesus. He didn't know. He hadn't had the revelation of Jesus. And that changed everything for him personally. But then he continued on in his ministry throughout churches in Ephesus, throughout the Corinthian churches, teaching them about Jesus. His life was impacted. But so many others were impacted as a result. You see, godly agreement, godly unity in a marriage is powerful. When we unite our hearts around God and his purposes and his plans, his gospel, it will produce godly fruit that will impact many. Unity in marriage is so very powerful. But what are you uniting over in your marriage? Is it godly unity or ungodly unity? Are you uniting over strife? Is that your common bond, is strife in your home? Constant arguing? Where there's strife, there's anger, there's stubbornness, there's pride, there's resentment. Are you uniting in strife? Do you know that some relationships unite over pain? Some people come together and begin a relationship because they have a common pain. Maybe they've been through something very painful and they unite in that common pain. When there has not been healing, pain, it, uniting in pain is not a healthy unity because where there's pain, without healing, there will be brokenness, there will be fear. There may have been abandonment or rejection, abuse, and everything that goes along with that. We've got to recognize what is it we're uniting over. Instead of uniting over pain, let's find God's healing and his victory and unite over healing and victory. Amen? Are you uniting over a common endeavor to pursue God? I think we all would want that in our marriages. A common endeavor between us, husband and wife, to just pursue God. To, we're not perfect. We're not going to do everything perfectly. But we all want to have that bond where we can unite together in just endeavoring to pursue God and his purposes. But I want to tell you today, even if it feels like you are the only one in your marriage who is wanting to pursue God, take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility for your part. Get off the roller coaster of the strife and the bickering and responding to negativity. Get off that roller coaster and just take responsibility to do your part as a godly wife to bring unity into your marriage. And maybe you're sitting there and saying, well, how do I do that? Easier said than done, maybe you're, you're thinking. How exactly do I go about doing that? 
Did you know that the Word of God tells us very clearly how to go about doing that? It tells us what our role is as a wife. And when we do the things the Word lays out for us, we can actually bring godly unity into our marriages, okay? And in 1 Peter 3, it gives us some very clear instructions for our part. And so we're going to go through this passage of Scripture today, and we are going to talk about 10 things that we as women, as wives, can do to bring unity into our marriages, all right? So if you're a note taker, which I encourage you to be today, because these will really help you, Get out your pen and paper, your phone, whatever you take notes on, and jot these 10 things down. We're going to go through them a little bit quickly because of time today, but the, you can go back and read these verses in 1 Peter 3. It gives us such good wisdom here. Starting in verse 1, it says, and I'm going to be reading these verses out of the Amplified Bible today. I love the Amplified Bible. You know, it has more words, and so they say it's the chick version because we use more words. But I like it because it actually digs in and pulls out more from the original writings, okay? So in verse 1, it says, In like manner, you married women, be submissive. You know, why not just start with the one that we all love the best? Uh, <laughs> be submissive to your own husbands. Subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them and adapt yourselves to them so that even if any do not obey the word of God, they may be won over, not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives. All right. Whether or not your husband is a believer, whether or not he follows God, we need to know it is not our discussion, our correction, our eloquent argument, or how many scriptures we can quote that is going to get him on track with God. It is our godly living. That's what it tells us here. The godly lives of their wife is what is going to turn them around. Our godly conduct. Okay? So, no matter what he's doing, no matter what his part is, we need to focus on our part and take responsibility for our part because our part will greatly impact his life. Okay, so first thing that I want us to see is found in this first verse we read, submit to your husband. I know you're all excited about that one. Do you know what submit really means? The definition of submit means to come to a mutual arrangement, a voluntary attitude of cooperating and yielding. That's what it means. It does not mean to become a doormat. It does not mean to have someone rule over us with an iron fist. It also doesn't mean that we rule over them with an iron fist and tell them what to do. In Genesis, it says that male and female were put in the garden to rule together. We're to be at each other's side. That's God's intention, that we're at each other's side, that we have a mutual agreement cooperating together, yielding to each other. 
I want to tell you, if you are in this place and you hope to be married and you're not married yet, next to accepting Jesus, the decision of who you're going to marry is the most important decision you can make. Do not take it lightly because you will yield to and you will adapt to them. And if they are on a different page, if they're on a different page spiritually, your future may take a very different course if you are not careful, okay? So don't take that lightly. Just a little side note for those of you single girls. All right. So he tells us to submit to our husbands. But it's a coming together, a mutual cooperating together. And then verse 2 continues the sentence from verse 1. There's not a period there. Verse 1 ended that they may be won over by the godly lives of their wife. And verse 2 continues and says, when they observe the pure and modest conduct... When, sorry, when they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves, okay? So, number two, second thing, we need to have pure conduct. We'll talk about modesty in a minute. Number two is pure conduct. What does that mean? We need to have pure motives. No manipulating, <clears throat> ladies. No game playing. Being sincere forthright with all the details, not just holding the ones back that you don't want them to know, looking out for their best. I remember one time being shopping with a woman, and she went up to the counter to pay, and she said, okay, now this amount you can put on this card, and this amount on this card, and then this amount I'll pay cash, and then this amount I'll give you a check for. And she looked at me and she said, well, you know, when you spread it out, then they don't really know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that is not to give you ideas today. <clears throat> that is to make a point that that is not pure motives, okay? No manipulating, no game playing. Sometimes we need to stop and ask ourselves those questions and examining, examine our hearts and see, okay, do I try to be manipulative sometimes? Do I try to get my own way? Do I withhold some information that I don't really want him to know? God asks us to have pure conduct, pure motives, because when we do, that brings unity. When we don't, it will end up bringing division in our marriage. Pure conduct is so important. <clears throat> Number three, have modest conduct. When you leave the house or when you get dressed in the morning to leave the house, how do you dress? Do you dress to get other men's attention? Sometimes as women, we need to ask ourselves those questions. Are you trying to get other men's attention? Are you dressing for other men? Are you flirtatious? We need to think about those things. And can I just say that just because something is in style doesn't mean that it's modest. You know, just food for thought. 
Just because it's in style does not mean it's modest. We all want to be in style. We want to be current and all of that. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can be stylish and modest all at the same time, okay? And we need to recognize when we leave the house, when we're out and around other people, how are we conducting ourselves? Are we conducting ourselves with modesty? Because that will make our husband's heart feel safe with us. If we are not, then we can bring embarrassment to him, and his heart's not going to feel safe with us. And he's going to wonder what we're doing, what, what we're, who we're interacting with, and what our interactions are throughout the day. In Proverbs 12, verse 4, it says, A virtuous and worthy wife, earnest and strong in character, is a crowning joy to her husband. But she who makes him ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Wow. Is our conduct making him ashamed? Just food for thought. Okay. And then verse 2 continues. And it says, together with your reverence. So it talked about our pure and modest conduct. Now it says, together with your reverence for your husband. You are to feel for him all that reverence includes. Remember, I like the Amplified because it just brings out everything. To respect, defer to, revere him, to honor, esteem, appreciate, prize, and in the human sense to adore him. That is to admire, praise, be devoted to, deeply love, and enjoy your husband. So number four, have reverence for your husband and all that that entails. It says that it includes respect. In Ephesians 5, that talks a lot about wives respecting their husbands. So how can we do that? I've heard women say, well, there's nothing to respect about my husband. You know what? He's a creation of God. God has a plan and purpose for his life. So yes, there is. But also we need to realize that our behavior, the way we go about our everyday life conveys respect or a lack of respect. What is your tone of voice when you talk to your husband? Is it a tone that's a respectful tone? What is the position of your eyes when you talk to your husband? Are they rolling? <laughs> Are they looking at him with respect or disrespect? Do you give him the silent treatment? Do you storm out of the room? Do you withhold some facts? Do you make decisions without even talking to him? There's so much that we do in the course of everyday life that conveys respect or a lack of respect. So we need to stop and recognize what we're conveying to our husbands. It also means to defer to, which means to yield. Back to submission. Are we willing to yield to them? It also means to honor, which is to prefer them. Do we always need to get our own way? Or are we willing to prefer them and what they're wanting? It means to appreciate 
Gary and I have set an atmosphere of appreciation in our home from the time we got married. We just determined that we never wanted to lose that appreciation for each other. So we make sure that we we express that appreciation to each other regularly, even for little things like taking out the trash or he's so sweet. You know, he brings me a latte every morning while I'm getting ready. He's my personal barista. He makes me a little latte. He's so sweet. He brings it into me. I don't just take that for granted. I always express appreciation to him. Whatever it is, the little things, the big things, for no reason, just because we're so grateful for each other. Expressing appreciation is so powerful, and it sets a tone in our homes. We need to be willing to continually make sure our appreciation is evident and is heard and known. It also means to adore. Adore literally means to admire, praise, be devoted to, to love deeply. Does your husband know that you you adore him? Have you been praising your husband? Now you might be sitting there thinking, praising him. He's not like an idol that I worship. Well, remember what it says in Ephesians 5, that the wives in our marriage relationship, where we're an illustration of Christ and the church, the wives represent the church. How does the church respond to Christ? With praise, with adoration, right? And so, yes, he's not an idol <laughs> that we worship. But we should be praising him. We should be recognizing all the good in him and acknowledging that. Letting him know that we are so grateful for him, that we do adore him, that we're glad we married him. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, we're glad we married him, right? <laughs> okay, maybe you're still not sure. <laughs> and then that verse tells us also, the last thing where, when it talks about what reverence includes, it says to enjoy. Enjoy your husband. Do you laugh in your home? Do you laugh with your husband? Do you have fun with your husband? Are you happy at home with your husband? You know, I have heard so many men say that the number one thing they want from their wife is for her to be happy. But so often we can get tunnel vision and we can get focused on the things that aren't going right and this and that and the stress of all the plates we're juggling as women and we let our happiness slide away. Or we're waiting for him to make us happy. Our happiness does not need to come from him. True happiness, true joy comes from God. And when we're willing to live with that joy, when we're willing to do these things included in reverence and respect for our husbands, it pours unity into our marriages. It opens the door for unity. But when we're disrespectful, when we're unhappy, it's not going to bring any unity in our marriages. All right? We've got to be aware of that. In Proverbs 21, verse 9, it says, It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop on a flat oriental roof exposed to all kinds of weather than in a house shared with a nagging, quarrelsome, and fault-finding woman. No one wants to live with that kind of woman. 
When we are respectful to our husbands, that kind of conduct has the power to work miracles in our marriages. So don't sit back and say, well, I'll respect him when he loves me more. Uh, when he changes, I'll change. No, have the courage to rise up and be the change, okay? When we take responsibility to do our part, it will greatly impact him, and it has the power to turn his heart, okay? Look at verse 3. It says, Let not yours be the merely external adorning with elaborate interweaving and knotting of the hair, the wearing of jewelry, or the changes of clothes. Number five is don't be consumed with external appearances. As women, often we can go there. We can become consumed with what clothes we have and what our hair is doing and what we should be doing for our skin and our weight and the next diet and the workouts. And we can become consumed with all of that. But don't buy into the lie that that's what is going to get your husband to treat you great and to want you and that we have to be so absorbed and consumed with that. Do you know what the result of being consumed with external appearances is? All it does is get our eyes fixed on ourselves. We're constantly looking at ourselves, constantly picking ourselves apart, always thinking about ourselves. When our eyes are only on ourself, does that bring unity in a marriage? No. It ends up pushing us further apart because our eyes aren't on that other person. Our eyes aren't on what we can bring to and add to their life and the marriage. A new outfit's not going to add value to his life, okay? It might add value to your life, you think. <laughs> But we've got to recognize we can't get so consumed with these things. Yes, we all want to look our best, of course, and nothing wrong with looking our best. But we've got to be careful we don't cross that line and become consumed with our external appearance. Verse 4, it says, But let it be the inward adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart, which the with the incorruptible and unfading charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is not anxious or wrought up, but is very precious in the sight of God. Number six, focus on the condition of your heart. In Proverbs, it tells us to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Everything floods out of our hearts. We've got to take care of our heart. We've got to... Watch out and guard our heart so that we have a healthy soul, so that we have a healthy spirit. That is when we have inward beauty, which is incorruptible and unfading. Yeah, this outward body is going to fade and going to sag and do whatever it does. But, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> this is the truth. <laughs> but that inward beauty will not fade. Have you ever been around someone who just radiates Jesus? You just want to be around them. Who cares what they're wearing? You don't even think about that. You feel like you've been closer to Jesus when you've been around that person. That's what God wants us to have, is that inward beauty. 
where there's a gentleness and a peace about us. And you might be thinking, yeah, well, my personality is not so gentle and peaceful. I'm loud. I'm brash. People know it when I walk in a room. You know what? You can have a loud personality or you can have a quiet personality. Either way, but you can still have a gentleness about you in the way you approach people. And you can still have an internal peace, no matter what your personality is. And it says to not be anxious or wrought up, you know, all in distress on the inside. God wants us to be at peace, and that peace is not determined by circumstances. It only comes from God. Our relationship with God impacts our relationship with our husband greatly. We've got to nurture and take care of our relationship with God. Amen? All right, just making sure you're still there. All right, move on to verse, um, well, actually, verses 5 and 6. They talk about the women of old and Sarah and following her example. But then the end of verse 6, it says, And you are now her true daughters if you do right and let nothing terrify you, not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve you. Number seven, don't live in fear. It says, let nothing terrify you. What does the word tell us? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And then it continues to tell us that when we do that, that's when we'll experience the peace of God that passes all natural understanding. God wants us to live in that peace, not in a place of fear. When we are a wife who gives in to those hysterical fears and anxieties, what does that say to our husband? Does your husband ever come home from work and you're hysterical? Does he ever come home from work and you're all anxious and wrought up on the inside and, oh my gosh, this happened today and this happened and the kids did this and ah! Anybody ever done that? I'm sure none of you have. <laughs> you're all just sitting so nice and quiet, like you're just so perfect. <laughs> but I see what goes on. No. <laughs> you're human. And sometimes we get anxious and we get fearful and we become hysterical. But what does that say to our husbands? Does that provide a peaceful atmosphere for them to walk into? <laughs> no. Does it tell them that, oh, we trust them and our, our ultimate trust and confidence is in God? No. We need to recognize what that is communicating to our husbands. It makes them feel like we don't trust them often when we live in fear. I know a woman who lived in fear about finances for their future. And it brought continual strain and stress on their marriage. We need to recognize that our fears can bring division and stress and strain in our marriage rather than unity. When we're at peace, there's peace in our homes. But peace is not dependent on our husband's behavior. True peace comes from God. 
and it greatly impacts our relationship with our husbands. We've got to realize that fear is an enemy of unity. And if there's something that you're battling, if there's fear that you're battling, how is it coming out towards your husband? How are you dealing with it? We need to be able to take those things to God, just as it, it tells us, be anxious for nothing. Bring those things to God. Pray about them. And God will give us wisdom. He'll give us answers. He'll give us comfort. He'll assure us. And he'll give us his peace. We can bring everything to him. We may not know all the answers. We may not know everything. But we can have peace knowing that he's got it figured out and he's going to take care of us. All right? Fear's an enemy of unity. Do not give in to fear. And then verse 7, it moves on from the wife's part. But, and verse 7 here in 1 Peter 3 talks to the husbands about their part. Is anyone thinking, wait a minute, we had verses 1 through 6 and they only have verse 7? <laughs> you know what? Maybe God just knows that we like clarity. We like our ducks in a row and we need some added explanation. I don't know, but we're going to leave that with God. And verse 7 talks about the husband's part. So we're not even going to look at verse 7 because we're not going to go home and tell him what he should be doing. We're focusing on our part, right? Okay, so skip that. Move on to verse 8. And then verse 8, it says, finally, all of you. Husbands and wives, all of you should be of one and the same mind, united in spirit. It's like it's saying here, work at unity. All of these things are keys that are going to help bring unity in your marriage. Work at unity in your relationship. And then it continues on as if to say, and here are a few more keys that will help both of you, okay? But don't look at these next things we're going to talk about. Oh, so he should be doing this too? Mm -mm. We're not thinking about his part. This is applying to us, okay? We're going to look at it in light of our part. Okay. So verse 8 continues there and says, Sympathizing with one another, loving each other as brethren of one household, compassionate and courteous, tender-hearted and humble. So number eight is be loving. We can sum it up to say be loving. It says be sympathetic, compassionate. When you're having a hard time or you're going through something and you want to talk to your husband about it, don't you want him to be sympathetic? Yeah. When your husband's sick and uh, he's on the couch and he's really not feeling good and wants you to wait on him, are you sympathetic? <laughs> you know, just food for thought. <laughs> we want them to be sympathetic toward us. We need to extend that to them. Be sympathetic. Be compassionate. Jesus was moved with compassion. You see, compassion moves us and causes us to take action on another's behalf. Do we have compassion towards our husbands? Or have we lost sight of that? It says to be courteous, which means to, be, to have gracious consideration towards others. 
I remember talking to someone who was having their 40th wedding anniversary. And we said, okay, after 40 years, what's your advice? What's the secret? You have a great marriage. Without hesitation, she said, be nice. Be nice. That goes a long way. (laughs) I think much of what this verse is saying could be summed up like that. And then it says to be tenderhearted and humble. You know, it's so easy to become hard-hearted. It's so easy to start demanding our own way, to become stubborn. I know none of you are ever stubborn. But you know, so often, if we're willing to just take the first step and humble ourselves, you know what happens? It causes walls to drop. I mean, you'd be amazed. When you humble yourself, walls drop almost instantly. Hearts soften, and it brings about unity. And then verse 9, it says, Never return evil for evil or insult for insult. Scolding tongue, lashing, berating. Number 9, don't retaliate. Or if you'd rather, you could just write, bite your tongue. (laughs) You see, couples can talk to each other like we wouldn't even talk to strangers. Have you ever noticed that? I've heard married couples yelling at each other, talking to each other, cutting each other down, like they wouldn't even ever dream of talking to a stranger. And then it becomes this vicious cycle that goes back and forth, back and forth, and it's so destructive. Later, verse 10 talks even more about our tongues, keeping them free from evil and deceit. Ladies, we've got to remember that life and death are in the power of our tongue. Okay? We've got to recognize the power that we hold in our tongue. Don't lash back. Don't retaliate. Learn to bite your tongue and take it to God. All right? And then verse 9 continues and says, But on the contrary, blessing, praying for their welfare. Instead of retaliating, bless them, pray for them. Pray for their welfare, their happiness and protection, truly pitying and loving them. For know that to this you have been called, that you may yourselves inherit a blessing from God, that you may obtain a blessing as heirs, bringing welfare and happiness and protection. Number 10, last thing, pray for your husband. Pray for their welfare, pray for their happiness, their protection, Ask God to help you see them as he sees them. And it says in this verse, to this we have been called. This doesn't just bring blessing in their lives, but you know what happens when we pray for them? It keeps our heart soft towards God and towards our husband. It keeps our heart tender, and it brings unity into our marriage. You see, these things that we're talking about that have been laid out here for us in 1 Peter 3, they're not just the role of a wife. Oh, these are good ideas for a wife to do. No, this is our calling from God as wives. Do you know being a wife is a calling of God? And he lays out so clearly for us how he wants us to conduct ourselves as wives because our behavior holds incredible power in our marriages.
This is not meant to be some overwhelming list like, oh my gosh, there's these, these 10 do's and don'ts and oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do all of these things. You know what? God's word is never to bring uh, pressure and a weight upon us. It's to bring wisdom and enlightenment to us so that we can recognize who he's called us to be. And I encourage you to take some time at home when you have time alone. Go back through those 10 things. Read through 1 Peter 3 and examine your heart and talk to God. Say, how am I doing in each of these areas? How can I improve? Where do I need to make adjustments? Don't think about what he's doing or not doing. Just take responsibility for your role. Let God mold you and shape you into the wife that he has called you to be. And let the Holy Spirit help you. He doesn't say, okay, here's the list. Now go figure it out and do it all on your own. No, he's given us the Holy Spirit as our helper to help us every step of the way. I'm so thankful for that. Anybody in this place to say that, would any, let's try that again. Anybody in this place, would you say that you have even the slightest room for improvement as a wife? I'll put myself at the top of the list because I always want to be growing and becoming more and more of the wife that God has called me to be. So I want to pray for all of us in this place today. How many want to be the wives God's called you to be? Yeah, I'm so thankful for his word, that he spells it out for us, that we don't have to go figuring it all out on our own. He lays it out for us, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. But we just need to stop and remember to let him help us, right? To listen to the word and allow the Holy Spirit to help us. So I'm going to pray for all of us in that endeavor. Father, God, I just thank you for every woman in this place right now. And God, for those who are not yet married, God, I pray that even until that time, if they're, if they're going to be married, God, I pray that you just prepare their hearts and help them to recognize what a big decision that is, to look for a godly man, to not settle for anything short of your best for them. And Father, that even now they'd begin preparing themselves to be the wife that you've called them to be, that they'd understand that there's a calling there, that you've called them to be wives and how to walk that out, that they would start learning those things now, God, that they could be the wife you've created them to be. And God, for every wife in this place, God, I pray right now that you would just help us to take responsibility for our part, God, help us not to point fingers. Help us not to blame. Help us not to look at what our husbands are or are not doing. But God, help us just to focus on being the wife that you've called and created us to be. God, thank you for your word. That your word lays it out for us. God, help us to grow in understanding of your word. Help us to grow in desire to walk out your word. Father, help us daily to be aware of the power of the way we are living and what that's creating in our homes and in our marriages. 
And Father, help us to rely on your Holy Spirit and to listen to the guiding and nudging of your Spirit every day. I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us bring things to our remembrance that we need to be reminded of. Help us to know what to say and what not to say. Help us to bite our tongue when we need to. Help us to have the right tone in our voice, God. Help us to be the wives you've created us to be, Father. And God, as we do our part, God, we trust you to do your part and to work in our marriages and to bring godly unity that you would have your way. God, that you'd intervene in marriages, that they would flourish and thrive more than ever before. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. And ladies, while your eyes are still closed, I just want to ask, we never want to miss an opportunity to just ask if maybe there's anyone in this place who's never experienced their own personal relationship with God. You know, you can. It's not about being a member of a particular church or a bunch of traditions or rituals or do's and don'ts. It's about a very living, breathing, real relationship with your Savior. He is longing to have a daily relationship with you. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and you confess him as Lord of your life, that you will be saved. You can be saved from trying to figure out life and do life all on your own. He wants to save you from independent living. He wants to live every day with you. And... He wants to save you from the punishment of your sin so that you can spend eternity in heaven with him. And if you want that relationship with him, we're all going to pray a prayer together in just a moment. But if that's you, I want to ask you to just wrap your heart around these words as we pray and commit your life to him. Ask him to be your savior today as we pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. I thank you that you're my father, that you love me, and that you sent Jesus to die for me, to be my savior. And so right now, I surrender my life to you, and I ask you to be Lord of my life, and I choose to live with you every day from this moment forward. Help me to grow in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we just welcome sisters into God's family today? Awesome. And if you made that decision, we just have a little tool we want to give you. It's just this little booklet called The Next Seven Days. And